Welcome to the Manor. Welcome back to the Twin Terrors, Macabre Manor of Mead, Metal, and Mayhem. I'm Jody. And I'm James. All right, James, do you know what's so special about today? It's uh, World Whiskey Day. That's one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, well, okay, before we get into that, what what are you drinking besides whiskey? I am having an English Old Ale from Creatures of Habit Brewing. A beautiful 8% English Old Ale that's toffee and malty and deep and thick. And, and I also have some Lafrogue tenure here with me for uh, World Scotch Whiskey Day. Yeah, so kind of like what you were drinking in the other episode. A little bit like I was drinking in the other episode. In fact, okay. not only just a little bit like I was drinking the exact same damn motherfucking things. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> um. I just opened my second can of beer. Oh, poor girl. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. This is Brother Joseph's Belgian-style double ale. Did you give me one of those? I thought I did. I think you did. And if it's the one you did give me, it's kick-ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's uh, 8%. Um, like I said, Belgian-style double ale. Um, probably should have, because I just finished off the other one I was drinking, which was an IPA. And I'm kind of thinking I probably should have had some water to cleanse the palate. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, I did that to myself, so I got no one to blame but me. Oh, we, we know that. We all blame you anyway. Okay. So, um, now that that's out of the way, do you know what today is? <laughs> Besides World Whiskey Day. Okay, so today is May 17th. Yeah. Uh-huh. This will be the day... Uh, actually, today, as we're recording this, 40 years ago, Peter Chris leaves the band. Does he? He does. Chris left on May 17th, 1980. Huh. Well, I, that's, I wasn't paying attention to that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew something. Jody didn't. <laughs> Wait, let me rephrase that. Google knew something. Jody didn't. <laughs> um. But- no, but my thing is actually KISS-related as well. I assumed. That's yes. why my Google search was May 17th KISS Band History. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, um, uh, but, all right, before I tell you what today is, uh, this episode we, uh, is going to come out, uh, what, what did we say the date was going to be? <laughs> this episode's coming out right before what would have been Eric Carr's 70th birthday which was uh, July 12th, 1950. So on May 17th, 1990, James was a graduating senior from high school. Woo-hoo! And that night he had to go to senior night. Oh. <laughs> so he missed going to the Holman Center in Terre Haute, Indiana to see Kiss perform on their Hot in the Shade tour that they did that year. Um, I was there, <laughs> and, and just for the record, I did not even think about today being the date of that concert until I woke up this morning and went, wait, we're going to record the Eric Carr episode today. On a, it was 30, years, <laughs> 30 years ago, I saw him on stage. So I, I, yeah, I looked it up. Today was the date of the Terre Haute concert that I went to. Um, not the last time I saw Eric, because four months later, uh, August 16th, um, they played here in Huntsville and I was down here for summer break visiting my mom and, uh, 
my stepbrother and I went to go see him here in Huntsville. So I did get to see him twice on that tour. That was the last time I saw Eric before he died. So, but yeah, uh, we wanted to uh, kind of pay tribute to Eric. This is going to be his 70th birthday or, or would have been his 70th birthday. It, it will be uh, two days from today. Yeah. I was thinking the 10th. Yep. The 10th was when, was when this one would come out. So I'm thinking in honor of that day, you got to see him and I was stuck at senior night. I should put up a special picture for this. Which, <laughs> From senior night? Which will be me standing next to my current wife, who I had the hots for back in high school, <laughs> and then did not see again for a couple of decades. <laughs> yep. So uh, even if I didn't get to see Kiss, I, I had a good picture of us with our arms around each other at senior night. <sighs> yeah. See, so I, that's why I don't make fun of you for not being able to go. I used to make fun of you for not being able to go, but I, you know, went, would, cause, cause I think we talked about this in the, uh, one of the early episodes we did where we talked about their end of the road tour. We did. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So uh, it was, it was that, that the senior night stuff was special to you for various reasons. So, so, uh, Eric Carr, uh, was born, uh, July 12th, uh, 1950, Paul Charles Caravello in uh, Brooklyn, New York, son of Albert and Connie. Albert's still alive. I actually, uh, somebody just tweeted that and I don't remember who it was, but somebody just put that up on, on, uh, social messaging or social, uh, I don't know, some Facebook, social media, social media. Yeah. yeah, Twitter, Facebook, something. Um, yeah, apparently, apparently Eric's dad is still alive. I did not know that. Um, I, cause I knew he was old. <laughs> well, this would be Eric's 70th. 70th yeah so and, mm-hmm. and uh, i think eric was the oldest in the family and his parents married when they were 18 so well so they're 90 90 yeah. not unheard of yeah uh, he had two sisters uh loretta and uh maria who they everybody in the family called sissy because apparently i think she was the oldest sister so she was like the middle child i guess but any anyway when she was born eric couldn't say maria so he tried to say sister and it came out sissy and everybody just kind of kept calling her sissy um, <laughs> but loretta has been really instrumental in trying to keep eric's memory alive and keep stuff out there about him as has um carrie stevens who was his girlfriend uh for like the last two or three years of his life so the the two of them have really done a lot to um kind of keep eric's memory going nice yeah so uh he was he was already into music um he was already kind of playing drums when in 1964 he like many millions of Americans saw the Beatles perform on the Ed Sullivan show. <laughs> you mentioned uh, Paul and Jean's experience with that when we did. Uh, yeah. Well, we, yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. Recent, recent episode or a hundredth episode. <laughs> so yeah, he, he um, became a huge fan of the Beatles and uh, especially Ringo because Ringo is the drummer and uh, he wanted to have hair like the Beatles. He wanted to look like them. And, and uh, so he, um, he told the story. Um, I, I don't remember if he put product in his hair. I think he did, but he'd, he'd tell the story of he'd put the stuff in his hair and he'd put a pair of pantyhose on his, on his head to, to, <laughs> to, to straighten the hair. Because I mean, seriously, if you've seen a picture of Eric Carr, it's this mass of curly <laughs> hair. Um, uh, CK Lint that I, I've mentioned in several of the kiss episodes. Um, he he described Eric as, you know, if you saw Eric on stage and you were back away from the stage, you couldn't see any facial features. It was just this massive black hair on top of a body. <laughs> <laughs> he had, apparently, he had so much hair, Paul was always telling him to get it cut because he had bigger hair than Paul did. And <laughs> you can't have that. No, no. Yeah. But when he was a teenager, especially after he 
got into the Beatles, he wanted to have that straight hair like they had. So he'd put product in his hair to straighten it and he'd put the pantyhose over his head and he'd tell the story of he wore the pantyhose over his head so much that, the, that it flattened the end of his nose. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a dippity doo. Okay, okay. Yeah, I was thinking. I was thinking it was a product that he put in. I couldn't remember the name of it. So um, dippity doo. I was sleeping like that. Put the nylon snucking over my head. Put it over there like a burglar. I was sleeping like that for probably two years on my head every night. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <sighs> By the way, as we as we record this, it's during the quarantine. Uh-huh. Uh, my hair is about the length it was my senior year of high school. So if this goes on much longer, it will be the David Lee Roth again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. So um, so throughout the '60s and the '70s, he he played in a bunch of different bands, uh, a lot of different styles. An early band that he was in, probably I think he started it right after the Beatles came out. Or, or when the Beatles hit and the British invasion hit here in the States. Um, and they called it the cellar men because they were practicing in the cellar of somebody's house. So, um, that, that, and that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And, but, but, and it also kind of referenced the, the Beatles original name of the quarry men. Yeah. Uh, so there was kind of that. Um, and it was very much a Beatle esque band. Um, they, they dressed like the Beatles, the the music that they, and they actually did record a song or two. Uh, da, 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 we'll pull this up real quick here because well, while was, you're while you're pulling it up, I was going to point out that when we've done a little when the suite came up, this is what the bands are doing. Eric yeah. Carr, even though he wasn't in Kiss for a while, was one of the first like actual doing things. You know, he yeah. had been doing things at the same time as all the members in Kiss. It's not like he suddenly started drumming, right? When, Peter Chris left the band. He, yeah, he's been active. He, he actually, um, he's actually, he was actually two years older than Paul. Yeah, I think he'd been more active than Paul and Gene, except for Peter Chris. He'd been the most active, like longest active person. Uh, so Eric was, he was in the Cellarman. Uh, had a band called uh, Salt and Pepper, uh, which uh, later changed huh. their name to Creation. That's why. That's it. That's the note I actually gave in one of the Zeppelin episodes. Salt and Pepper. Oh, okay. Yeah, because weren't they a mixture of white and black dudes? They were. Yeah, yeah. I think their um, I think their lead singer was female, but yeah, she was she was black. Um, and actually, uh, uh, they they were playing a venue, and um, I don't remember what the what the venue was called, but it was in the basement of the building, and up above them was a uh, it was a bowling alley. Somebody set fire to the bowling alley, and Creation was playing down in the basement, and uh, because Eric's mother was always telling him to make sure he knew where the exits were. He was always making sure he knew where the exits were. And uh, there were uh, several people died that night, including one or two of the guys in the band died that night. But Eric managed to get um, the lead singer and several of the, uh, of the audience out because he knew where the exits were. Ooh, I, got, uh, I, I found my note. Okay. Okay. It's not a Zeppelin thing we've talked about. These are my notes for Zeppelin three that, I have ready and we will record soon because it's the 50th anniversary of Zep 3 coming out. Yes. Yes. So in 1970, because I, we always talk about bands that we've talked about, Kiss, this is the year Wicked Lester formed. Uh-huh. Chelsea releases their one album. 
Ah, Peter Chris, yeah. Peter Chris and Eric Carr joined Salt and Pepper, a half white black cover band. <laughs> yeah. And then Bruce was active at the time too. Bruce Kulik. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I when I say an old episode, no, it's an upcoming Zep episode. And so what type of music did creation play? Um, I think it was uh, kind of R and B kind of stuff, or or kind of a mix of you know, rock and R and B. Um, he played a lot of different styles. Okay, because I, I when I was looking up things for the Zeppelin thing to do the things, I, I thought he'd played some R and B, some rock, maybe even disco. Yeah, and I, but I don't know which bands did what. You know, I I think um, I think Creation did kind of that rock R and B kind of uh, mix. Um, another band that he was in, Mother Earth, Father Time, which I think came out of out of that fire. It was like the remaining members of Creation formed this new band. Uh, they were, it was kind of in the same vein as that. And then uh, Flasher, and I don't know a lot about Flasher. I think Flasher was the band he was in right before he joined Kiss. That was like the last band he was in. But he, at, you know, at this time he was also working day jobs with his dad. He was installing ovens in, in apartments. But um, he obviously he got his big break in 1980 when Kiss was looking for a new drummer. He uh, he sent in his I don't know if his resume application, uh, uh, maybe a a tape. I, I know that um, the Unmasked album had already come out, and so Eric took the song Shandy, which was the the, the single off of it, um, which was a big hit. Like um, I think we've talked about in one of the other episodes, it was a big hit down in Australia. Um, he took that and he he re-recorded the vocals just as an example of what he could do with the vocals, um, which I've actually heard it. Uh, they've, they've actually, uh, his family has actually released that on a, on an album that has come out. Um, it's, it's not bad. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that song to begin with. <laughs> um, I, it's not that it's a bad song. It's just, it's, it's way too much of a pop song for me. Um, but Eric did a really nice job on it. So, you know, um, but he, 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 sent, he sends in this big orange, bright orange envelope. And um, uh, that, 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 uh, one of the staffers that was working for KISS, uh, her name was uh, Jane Grodd. She sees this big envelope, this big bright orange envelope in the middle of all these other, you know, plain white envelopes. She's, well, that looks interesting. They, they tried out something like 70, 90 different drummers. Damn. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I've heard somewhere in that range because uh, uh, Bill LaCoyne talked about it and he said there was something at least like 70 drummers that they auditioned. And, uh, you know, it was Eric was the one that wound up getting the job. Um, huh. Just like Ace had his weird mix mash shoes. Yeah. He, he used the orange envelope. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it got people's attention, you know. So, you know, so they hire him and originally his character was going to be the Hawk. And uh, actually, I have seen pictures of the Hawk costume that they developed and it is no joke when they say it kind of looked like big bird i've seen it and it's rather humorous <laughs> yeah uh, but eventually they settled on the fox as the character and the the makeup it was kind of like what they well i was gonna say because peter's cat man makeup wasn't really that complicated when it started out but when they did the photo shoot for the first album um uh, for some reason they made it more complicated than it originally had been and Man, he's the one who actually added color. Yeah. So they, you know, simplified it from that point on. And it was the same thing with Eric's Fox makeup. Um, it actually had some different, like gold or something around the eyes. And they, 
kind of toned that down a little bit and, and went with more of a black and some it had a little bit of brown I think mixed into it but it was it was mostly black and they, they simplified it a little bit more so that um, so it just so it stood out a little bit better so some uh, some interesting stories or some funny stories people who talk about Eric uh, they always talk about what a nice guy he was how sweet he was and, and there are some darker stories associated with him there was some drama in the band between him and and especially between him and Paul. I'm not going to get into that because it's not really, I mean, you know, this is supposed to be a celebration of his birthday, so I'm not going to, I don't want to get into all that stuff. But, you know, pretty much everybody that met him said the same thing. He's a really nice guy. He was a really sweet guy. I, apparently, he had a really good sense of humor. <laughs> when, so one of the very few things I know, because uh-huh. you're going to be doing most of this, so if I'm taking one of yours, I guess. Oh, yeah. No, um, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah was when he was hired, Paul bought him a car. Mm-hmm. And a Porsche, he, yeah. And he wanted to paint a camo. Yeah. And uh, when I read this, I'm like, and I, I know I read it, and I know we talked about it, so I don't know yeah. which came first. But either way, I'm thinking, that is going to be the god-awfulest, gaudy <laughs> piece of crap. But then you started talking about a sense of humor. I'm like, huh. I don't see jacking around with Paul. <laughs> I, I think he was – I think he just threw that out as a joke. And Paul took it serious. And, <laughs> and, and the thing was, because I, I actually was going back through Gene and Paul's autobiographies today. And, and Gene and Paul are really the only two who talk about him. Ace, Ace talked about him a little bit in his autobiography. I, I, and I'll get to Peter later on. Ace told a story about when, uh, I, well, I, I don't know when it took place. I, I know Ace said they were in Canada. I think he said Toronto. So it may have been around the time they recorded music from the elder, but I don't know for sure. Um, but, you know, Ace is not really shied away from talking about his efforts to get high in the past. <laughs> Ace told the story about, he had heard that in the, in the U S at the federal level, they had mandated changes to model glue because people were huffing glue and this and and you change the formula so that people can't get as high or whatever and that therefore they will not want to huff glue and but in canada canada they hadn't done that so ace (laughs) having the reputation that he did knew that if he walked into a model shop to buy glue somebody in the organization was going to see him and they were going to know why he bought the glue and he was going to get in trouble for going and buying the glue to, to huff it um so he talks eric into going and buying it and, and Eric being the nice guy that he is, he's reluctant to do it, but eventually he breaks down and does it. And Ace's story kind of concludes with, he, this was the difference between Eric Carr and Peter Chris. Ace goes back to the hotel to huff the glue. Peter would have been there with him. Eric was not. So Eric got the stuff for his bandmate. Yeah, but, but he, Eric was not the type of guy who would do that with him. And Ace said that's kind of when he knew the dynamic in the band really had changed because Peter was always right there with him doing the crazy shit. And at this point, there wasn't anybody else in the band that was going to do that crazy shit with him because Paul and Gene weren't like that. So No, and, and Eric, whether he's like that or not, is an employee and probably doesn't want to screw it up even if he – Yeah. Actually, the, some, of the, some of the stuff I was reading today um, – Eric was not that kind of guy. He I doesn't mean, seem like, yeah, yeah. Every, yeah. Um, when, when he joined, he wanted to, uh, he, he wanted to take the name rusty blades. <laughs> <laughs> Paul shot that down. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, 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 the Porsche story, I did have that one. And, and, uh, 
I, I, I think Eric was joking. I, I don't know, but I think Eric was joking. Of course, Paul was like, what the fuck, you know? But uh, Paul had a, he's, he's kind of got a wicked sense of humor too. So I know he did some stuff to mess with Eric every once in a while. Um, so, well. Yeah, it, can, it, it can take time before people yeah. get to know each other's sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, Paul did say one of the things they did to kind of joke around with, with Eric was that uh, they started calling him Bud Car Rooney because they said he looked like the love child between Buddy Hackett and Mickey Rooney. <laughs> Which I could, you know, I, I read that and I went, yeah, I can see it. Man, and we are barely old enough to know what that's about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Gene, uh, Gene said that, you know, and this goes back to the whole thing of that, this full head of black curly hair. Gene said he looked like a Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've, you've got room to talk to demon. <laughs> um, and I, I guess uh, the first time they went to Europe, I, I think, uh, which, which would have been the unmasked tour it would have been Eric's first tour with them. So they go to, they go to Europe and, and it, you know, this is, this is 1980. Um, in the late seventies, I think it started probably around 1979 around, around the new wave of British heavy metal. Um, but I think some of the punk stuff was doing this too. Uh, there, a, a lot of guys were wearing camouflage stuff. It was real big. I don't know why I just, fuck. We did it. I know I did. I'm, I'm assuming you did more in junior high, but yeah, yeah. yeah. A little bit in high school. Yeah. But you know, well, I mean, uh, fuck, I mean, this was, you know, 1980 or whatever and oh, so, yeah. so anyway you know he's he's got he's got a camouflage t-shirt on he's wearing camouflage pants and he's got one of those belts with the the bullets you know the bullet belts which, which oh, yeah. obviously obviously they're they're not real i mean they're real bullets but there's no gunpowder in them so so they go they go to europe and i remember this from you know when i went over to germany in 1986 airport security was really tight there were armed military personnel in the in the airports in europe at the time <laughs> so here comes eric carr <laughs> head to toe camo <laughs> with a bullet belt uh, and this and this mass of black hair that the security guards take one look at him and go yeah, come with us. Because <laughs> they, they think it's a wig and he's got stuff hidden in the hair. <laughs> no, it's, it's my hair. <laughs> so, so apparently he's, he's, he's like, no, I'm a musician. And they wouldn't be satisfied until they, they finally they take him to a room with a piano. And they're like, okay, play the piano. You're a musician. So I guess he played something on the piano. Because he, he could play other instruments besides his drums. Um, I, I know he played guitar. He played bass. Uh, he actually played bass on at least one kiss song if not a couple different ones nice. i know he did a lot of his own demos for songs that he wrote so i know he he played some keyboards too so yeah that, i always like that story <laughs> <laughs> eric was into the tape trading stuff that they used to do back in the day you know and we've talked a little bit about that and he got a copy of metallica's demo early on and was really big into what the thrash guys were doing which went well with his playing style actually yeah you've mentioned that too that peter chris went from the jazz yeah. type of stuff and then when eric joined it was more the rock heavy yeah yeah and and not that eric couldn't do the other stuff you know because he had been in all these other bands but you know he started out with the beatles but then when zeppelin came out he became he was a huge zeppelin fan 
And that was something that him and Paul had in common. And uh, he was a big John Bonham fan. And that's why he used, and I, I did watch uh, a while back, but I did watch it. And it's on, it's on Amazon Prime, Tales of the Fox. It's a documentary. Uh, they, they did pronounce it Ludwig. So Ludwig drums. That's why Eric used Ludwig was because that's what John Bonham used. Nice. Yeah. And I, and I, and I know I've said this before. He was not quite in that category, but he was damn close. Um, as far as being a power drummer went, he was as damn close to hitting those drums as hard as John Bonham did. And, and fuck, you know, I, I, I saw, how many times did I see Eric? <laughs> I, <laughs> I saw Kiss. I saw Kiss ten times. Yeah, so I saw I saw them with Eric Carr seven, and he just he blew me away every time on stage. He just, I mean, he was that good. And his drum solo was always. I, and we've talked about how you know we kind of are about drum solos now. <laughs> yeah. I I still, if I had a chance to see him do a drum solo one more time, man, I would take it. Um, well, again, a really good person who does a nice solo for a bit yeah, isn't bad. It's just, yeah. for me, it's when it goes on for 15 minutes and they start doing stupid shit. Yeah. Um, now, he was, he was, I don't, I won't say he was the first one to do this, but he was one of the first, especially in the, the, the whole hard rock, glam rock, heavy metal scene to use electronic drums. He used them during his drum solo. Here's a little snippet from one of his drum solos um, with him using the electronic drum pads. He actually had them programmed for different chords. So he would hit it and it would play an actual sustained chord. This little snippet is, is one of his drum solos where he's actually playing a song with the electronic drum pads while he's playing the actual beat. I like that. That's kick yeah. ass. Yeah. Uh, so Eric, um, he, so he wrote, he actually did write a few songs uh, for the band. Um, and we talked about Under the Rose and Escape from the Island off of Music from the Elder. Um, and I don't think he wrote anything on Creatures of the Night. Surprisingly, because that album is a showcase of Eric Carr's drumming. And, <laughs> I, and I'm not going to talk a lot about Creatures of the Night this episode because I want to actually down the road a ways um, do an episode on that, on that album. Um, I, I will say that that was the second kiss concert I went to was for the creatures of the night tour. I saw them January 1st, 1983 in Terre Haute at the Holman center. I, you know, for a half full Holman center, which probably means there were about 5,000 people at the show. That was probably one of my favorite kiss memories nice is that show um that was the the stage was was the one that looked like the tank eric's drum riser was the tank turret i got the bootleg from that show fuck yes (laughs) and it's an audience recording so it's not great but fuck it was a really going back and listening to it it was a really good show I, i mean just 
the, the energy the band had for, for a half full arena. I, you know what I mean? And you know, they walked out and they went, well, fuck, you know, we sold this place out the last time we played here. Uh, so this, so this is another funny story. Um, Eric was friends with um, AJ Perro from Twisted Sister, uh, the, the late AJ Perro, because um, he he died uh, 2015, 2016, something like that. I think. Not super long ago. Yeah, that's yeah. That's in, in all honesty, that, that's why Twisted Sister actually retired was because AJ died. And, you know, D was like, you know what, we're going to, they got Mike Portnoy to come in and they, and they finished out their tour obligations and they were done. But uh, they, Eric, Eric Carr and AJ Perro were friends. And, uh, and Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot, he had some similar stories, but Frankie said he only actually got to meet Eric once. And, and again, said, you know, he was a really sweet guy. He's a really nice guy and everything um, and liked him. And, and was just, it was actually sad that he didn't get to, get a chance to know eric better but um you know these three guys they all kind of looked alike they all had these <laughs> big masses especially eric and frankie out of aj's hair i don't remember being quite that big but they all had these big masses of black curly hair and so they'd be walking down the street and somebody would go, hey man i really dug your last album you know and they'd be talking to eric but they'd be talking about the last twisted sister album or quiet riot you know and, and i mean it was all three of them were getting confused like that they, people were you know confusing the three of them so eric and aj they used to do the like the the nam uh and what is it north american music something it's it's a big industry thing they do every year um for like all the the instrument manufacturers and the you know the people who do the software for the, the you know recording yeah. software and all that yeah well i mean i know yeah but yeah yeah you, yeah it's gonna be great for people yeah. So anyway, Eric and AJ always used to, they'd be at NAMM uh, doing these panels and stuff. And, <laughs> and, and I, you know, one, one, uh, I, I guess one, one night they got on an elevator and, and this guy's like, uh, with, with some guy in a suit, you know, so whatever company he was with and he's like oh so are you guys in bands and eric goes yeah my name's aj Perro. i'm with <laughs> sister and, and and aj goes yeah i'm eric carr i'm with kitty <laughs> nice that's great so they were just you know they'd mess with each other aj told this other story of i, I guess he was wearing a pair of chuck taylor converse shoes and uh, you know they've got the, the the ringlets in the shoes for the you know for the uh uh shoelaces so, so AJ's I guess he's sitting at this table talking and all of a sudden Eric just starts taking out matches and putting them in the eyelets and then he lights them <laughs> <laughs> AJ's shoes on fire you know uh, um, which I, now there's this other story I couldn't find it I think Gene actually told it on a video that I don't um, I didn't I didn't readily have access to but Gene I, I, I want to say there was a story where Gene told of Eric it, it involves fire again fire, um, fire, fire, yeah yeah and I guess Gene was um and I may have told this in another episode but I'm going to tell it here again anyway <laughs> <laughs> so so Gene Gene has um met a, a young woman and has taken her back to his office aka the bathroom yeah <laughs> at the uh, at the arena they're playing uh he's 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 back there uh, conducting business with her and all of a sudden smoke starts to come in under the door and somebody's standing outside the door going fire, fire, everybody get out, fire, fire. So here comes Jean and the woman in uh, various states of undress. 
and there's Eric laughing his ass off because he had taken some paper or something and set it on fire right next to the door, just enough to get it smoking so that he could blow it under the door and get Gene to come running out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, I, like I said, I couldn't find it, so I don't know the, the veracity of that story, but I think, I think that was on one of the videos that, um, and I want to say it's on the extreme close-up home video they did uh, around the time the Revenge album came out. So, <laughs> one of the things that people talk about uh, when they talk about Eric is um, uh, how how close he was to the fans. And I think this is why uh, a lot of the fans still love Eric, even, even those of us who never got to meet him. Um, because he always... It, it seemed like he always went out of his way for the fans and was the, he, he was always the last one to leave when they'd be talking to the fans. Nice. Yeah. That he was, um, Bruce told the story. I tried to find it. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't find it in the book, but um, I, I seem to remember the story that Bruce told uh, Bruce Kulik, who was in the band uh, uh, from uh, 84 through 90 at least 95 I guess 90s early 96 whenever they started you know did the reunion tour I guess that's when they actually let Bruce go but probably the the animalized tour but I, I seem to remember that Bruce talked about them being in Sweden and it was close to winter time of course you know when you're in Sweden in the last quarter of the year it's kind of cold a little bit yeah yeah so and the hotel's in Europe aren't necessary, especially when you're on a budget and you know, kiss may have been rock stars, but in the eighties finances weren't great for them. So yeah, when they toured, they were on a budget as far as the hotel accommodations went. So they had a small hotel and I guess the, the hotel staff, if you weren't a guest, they weren't letting you in. So the fans on this cold night in Sweden, were waiting outside the hotel for the band to come so that they could get autographs and stuff. And the band comes in and, you know, I, I guess, you know, they stop and sign autographs and everybody goes up to their room. Eric comes back downstairs and he goes outside and he stands out there in the cold with these fans for hours, just talking to them. Oh, kick ass. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it's, it's stories like that, that are, are why a lot of the, Kiss fans, especially those of us who were fans of him in the '80s, why we love this guy, and you know why we're why we were so heartbroken when he died. I just you know kind of kind of ripped our hearts out. Yeah. <laughs> Eric's family has put out uh, two albums. One was called Unfinished Business, and the other one's called Rockology. And I think uh, Unfinished Business. Yeah, um, Unfinished Business actually has some of the songs that Eric wrote that did get recorded, like uh, All Hell's Breaking Loose. Um, somebody else recorded it for that album, so they didn't use the Kiss version. Uh, but it's it's got a lot of the a lot of demos that Eric recorded, um, and which is pretty much what the Rockology album is too. Um, the Unfinished Business also has some audio recordings from Eric, um, some some non musical stuff like Eric talking to. Uh, recording stuff for fans and, and stuff like that or uh, some stuff from interviews so uh, so there's some of that stuff on there too so if you can check some of that stuff out do because uh, there's some really good stuff on there um, 
oh what's what's the song i'm gonna i'm gonna put it i'm gonna drop it in here um (laughs) (laughs) um, eyes of love i this is a song i really think kiss should have recorded this song and uh they didn't But, you know, you know, like I said, uh, some of Eric's stuff did get recorded. And, and, you know, we mentioned the stuff from Music from the Elder. Um, and, again, nothing – he didn't write anything on Creatures of the Night, but uh, All Hell's Breaking Loose, which is on the Lick It Up album. Uh, Under the Gun, uh, he, he and Paul co-wrote that on the Animalize album. Uh, I think he co-wrote King of the Mountain on the Asylum album, which has a really uh, – fuck it. Uh, here's here's the drum intro to that. He also, uh, okay, so, so the first song he actually got to record with, the, or to sing on the, the Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits album, which was kind of a, a best of, greatest hits kind of thing, a lot of fans weren't pleased with this for various reasons. Not that Eric did a bad job. He, he sang oh, the song. This, uh, yeah, he, yeah. Sang, he, he sang the song, and, and, and he did a really good job on it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's Beth. He and, did. I liked it. It just didn't need to be done. Right. Because and I and I get I get what they were doing. They were trying to get everything to sound contemporary because they remixed a bunch of the old songs. So and, and to make them match the newer stuff. Okay, fine. So that's why they had Eric sing Beth. Uh, he didn't he didn't want to do it, but he also wanted a vocal on an album. So he he did it, um, and and he did a really good job. He he actually called Peter Chris up because he he and Peter knew each other. They. I won't say they were really good friends, but they were friendly enough. But yeah, he, he called Peter about, you know, Hey, they want me to do this and I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm not necessarily comfortable with it, but you know, um, and it's, it's, it's a good version, but yeah, Eric, he was, he was nervous about it. He was uncomfortable doing it, but he, he did it because he, he wanted a vocal on the, on an album. The fans wanted Eric to sing a song on an album. And again, it's not like he hadn't been doing it live. One of the reasons they hired him, and I talked about this in one of the uh, Music from the Elder episodes, one of the reasons they hired him is because he could sing, and he could sing lead, and he sang Black Diamond. And during the Animalize tour, he also sang the song Young and Wasted, which was one of Gene's songs from the Look It Up album. Um, but they let Eric sing it live. And and I've heard it. Um, it oh, that, yeah. If you can look up on YouTube, the Animalize Live Uncensored video, 
it's a full concert um, re- recorded at Cobo Hall in Detroit. It's a great show. Um, Eric's drumming is phenomenal. And he, he sings lead on two songs, Young and Wasted and Black Diamond. Um, the first song of Eric's, though, that he wrote and got to sing, and actually it's the only song he wrote and got to sing, was on the Hot in the Shade album, which is the last album he did with him. And it's a song called Little Caesar. title actually comes from something like gene called him that every once in a while little (laughs) little caesar um but it's a great song they did play it live a few times early on in the hot in the shade tour but it they dropped it out of the set list pretty quick Uh, disappointing because they i i saw them two weeks into the tour literally two weeks into the tour they started on may 3rd i saw them may 17th and they'd already dropped it out of the set list at that point that sucks I, I know because I wanted to hear it live and I didn't get to. But so that was, you know, disappointing. <laughs> A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So one last thing here, Eric Carr died um, November 24th, 1991 of, of, of a, uh, a form of heart cancer uh, or related to that. Uh, he'd, he'd actually, he'd had surgery. They had tried to remove the, the cancer. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if they had gotten it all. Um, I, there was a stroke in there at one point, you know, uh, all sorts of stuff going on. So, um, but I, unfortunately it was the same day that Freddie Mercury from Queen died, which is, was what got all the press. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and well, and I mean, you know, Eric, Eric Carr, he was in Kiss. He died of cancer. Freddie Mercury dies of AIDS, you know? So I, I get it. Um, I devastated by both, especially both of them happened in the same day. November 24th, 1991 sucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, but I, it's, not, it's, not quite the day the music died, but it still sucked. Yeah. Um, I, Eric's clearly hit me harder than Freddie's did. Here's the thing though. I, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned Peter Chris a couple of times in all this. So Peter, he's done some stuff since Eric's died. That's kind of cool. And uh, let me see. This was this was November twenty second, twenty nineteen. Was the uh, the date on the story? I pulled this off of blabbermouth.net. And I guess there was a officially licensed Eric Carr commemorative collector's coin that came out that day or that week. Peter promoted it 
on his website. I don't know if it's on the official ericcar.com website. I, I did look that the website, the Eric, the ericcar.com website is still up. And I think you can still buy merchandise, although I think you have to email them and say, hey, this is what I would like to buy. There's no order form on the website. Yeah, yeah, I just thought that was cool that Peter promoted this on his website. You know, even though Eric was the guy that kind of took over his spot in the band, um, you know, Peter Peter liked him. And Ace did too. I, I did read not any of their autobiographies because like I said, Ace was, between the two of them, Ace was the only one that actually mentioned him. Um, Peter didn't in his autobiography. I did look. Um, but they did go to Eric's funeral. They both did. So, you know. Classy. Uh, yeah, I, th I thought so. You know, and, and I've, I've seen several pictures of Eric and Peter hanging out backstage or at clubs and stuff in LA uh, from, from the night, from the eighties, you know, um, it was, it was, it was, it was good to know that they got along, I guess, you know, especially when I was as big a fan as I was and, and still am to, to an extent, maybe not quite as much as I was back in the eighties, but <laughs> um yeah yeah what do you yeah at? yeah but you know um so yeah I, I i thought that was great that peter did all that uh but yeah i think that's about all i got um like i said uh this uh coming sunday july 12th would have been eric's 70th birthday so just want to kind of do a little thing to celebrate eric and uh yeah I mean, i'm not the fan jody is was but i thought he was fantastic and freddie's death hit me harder because i've been a huge queen fan forever but yeah, yeah I, I was sad to hear about eric's that day also yeah i just yeah it was uh that was a rough day <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh but you know um we got his music um uh, so yeah that's uh, just wanted to pay tribute to eric for his 70th birthday and uh if you're not already familiar with those albums from the eighties or, or, you know, any kiss stuff, I mean, seriously, um, I, I will say this creatures of the night. If you don't have it, if you haven't listened to it, get it. Cause it's one of those albums. It is it's good. It is. It is an excellent album. Probably the heaviest album they ever did. Um, it showcases his drums like no other. They, Actually, the producer from that did that and, and the Lick It Up album, he actually talked about that. He said there was no way to recreate what we did on Creatures of the Night. They wanted <laughs> they wanted to with Lick It Up. He said there was no way. He said it just it just happened. The studio was right. The drums were right. <laughs> Everything. This, this, but see that that's why Eric Carr gets compared to John Bonham, is because of the Creatures of the Night album. Because that's where he sounds the most like John Bonham. I can see that, really. It is a showcase for his drums. The drums are almost forefront in front of the guitars. And they drive that album more than any other Kiss album. But his his drumming, I, th I think, was really what made the 80s Kiss as good as what it was. And I think, it's a, I think 80s Kiss was a lot better than what people give him credit for. Yeah, it's still, yeah, still kicks yeah. ass. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to leave it there. Um, happy 70th birthday to Eric Carr. Yeah. Cheers, Eric. Yeah. Oh, cheers. <laughs> Beer. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> Scotch. Mm. So on that note, we will leave you for now. I'm Jody.
And I'm James. Later. Bye. <laughs> the Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. How did you convince him to put on one of your songs finally, one of your vocals? Well, I locked myself in the bathroom and I refused to come out. And I said, look, I'm not going to play the drums unless you let me sing something. They said, okay, here. I found out absolutely by accident about the auditions. You know, I was one of the last three guys to audition for them. They actually played with, I don't know, anywhere between 70 and 90 drummers that they actually auditioned. Yeah. And they had hundreds of applications that they never even went through. And, you know, they just, they liked me. I mean, you know, we hit it off right away. And within a few days, I was in.